You're listening to The New Leaf Project, sharing stories from instigators, innovators, planters and starters from across Canada. Hi, my name is Elle. And I'm Jared. And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Today we are sitting down and chatting about Jared's new book, Gutsy, Misadventures in Canadian Church Planting. It's very nice. I'm holding the book in my hand right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited because that's the first book I've ever done. Um, and uh, it was a bit of a challenge admitting to myself that I was <laughs> writing a book. I tried not to tell other people. That's probably smart. I see that you have the New Leaf Network Press. It was published by the New Leaf Network Press. Yes. So um, one of the things that I, I think is a real challenge in, in uh, being a Canadian author is... Um, sorry, I don't even like to say... Well, when you say a Canadian an author, I mean, I imagine like a smoking pipe and a smoking jacket, like yeah. very... Yeah, there's a lot of smoking. Yeah. Yeah, no... No, I didn't do any of that. No. But it is, a, it is a weird thing to admit to yourself you're writing a book because it feels so highfalutin mm-hmm. and fancy pants. Um, but it is, uh, as Kurt Vonnegut once said, it's like trying to inflate a Zeppelin using a bike pump. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's a, it's a lot of sweat. Right. It's a, well, not literal sweat, but it is a, it's a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, I wrote 47,000 words and that becomes a lot to babysit after a time. And, um, it's, it's quite unglamorous and there's a reason why not a lot of people do it. I think everybody's got an idea for a book. Um, but it, it's time consuming and it's, uh, not as fun as I thought it would be, but I, I, I learned a lot in the process for sure. And as you pointed out, it's, it's, uh, it's published under the New Leaf Network Press. And, and as I was mentioning, uh, one of the things we want to do is, uh, as the New Leaf Network, is we'd like to publish, um, you know, the thoughts and ideas of Canadian planters and starters. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that would be cool. Um, one of the challenges of being a Canadian author, especially a Christian Canadian author and writing about the church is that the, the largest market is actually in the United States right. and, the, and the largest publishers are in the United States and they're in it for business. Mm-hmm. And that's not wrong. It's good to have a business. Um, as you keep telling me, um, I'm learning, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to grow. Um, but in order for a book to be marketable, it has to make sense to Americans. Right. It has to be telling them their story. And, I think obviously there are stories that we can tell and, and, and human stories that are universal and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's great. And it's a good pressure to have on you. But when you do a book about Canadian church plants yeah, and Canadian, Canadian church planting, mm-hmm. it's the most unmarketable thing possible. And <laughs> right. so, um, I have my, my brother-in-law is, is in publishing. Um, and, uh, and he's a, he's, um, so we, he and I had a chat over Christmas and I said, like, I, you know, do you think I should go to a publisher with this? Like, this is the book I'm working on and I'm, I'm proud of the work that I did. I think it's, it, it's going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, it needs to stay Canadian. Mm-hmm. And he said that, yeah, don't <laughs> do that on your own. So, so the new leaf network press was born. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm hoping that other people will follow behind me 
and uh, will write a book of their own. And uh, I'm working with some people to get kind of an, a bit of an editorial team together where we can help people shape their ideas. And then I just want to encourage um, some of the great Canadians that I know to put put their thoughts out there in the world. I think we have something to contribute on the world stage. Canadians are notoriously shy about mm-hmm. entering onto that stage. Um, and uh, I share that. <laughs> I hate talking about being... I'm just, I shouldn't really call myself an author because I only did one, but, but anyway, this is, uh, uh, something I'm kind of proud of. And you should be, it's a great book. My question is where did this idea or how did, how did this whole project begin? Hmm. Um, well, it started probably back in 2006 or 2007. I was a newly minted church planting director for the free Methodist church in Canada. Um, and I met, a guy named Joe Manifo, and he was planting in uh, Sarnia, Ontario, a, a church plant called The Story, and, and his buddies, Nathan Calhoun and Daryl Silvestri, um, they actually came and visited me while I was at Next Church, and then I, I got to know Joe, and I was very supportive of them, but one of the big questions they were asking uh, in those early days, or one of the philosophies or, or, or guiding ideas that they were, they were batting around was that they didn't want to own a building. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a really uh, unique and helpful way to think about Canadian church planning because buildings are expensive. Yep. Um, they can sometimes be the only reason your church exists, which uh, is not great. Um, they really do shape uh, your ministry and what you can do and how you think of yourself. So mm-hmm. there's lots of good reasons not to be a church plant in a building, and lots of church plants do that, like Una. Yep, yep the one I'm a part of. Yeah. We don't own a building. How, how old is Una? It's like six or seven years I old I think seven now. years now. And, and it's got its challenges, and it's got its good points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and But they've never owned a building. And I, I, and I was just saying, like, it, if you're not going to own a building, that's a good move. But maybe there are some churches out there that do have their own building. Mm-hmm. They rent it or they own it in some way. And... Uh, and lots of good things happen. And, and it's hard to be a neighborhood-oriented church without bricks and mortar yep. and, and actually meaningfully and tangibly and materially participating in the neighborhood. So I said, we should go on a little tour and just see these churches. And um, what I love about Joe, Joe works as uh, he, was, he was in a very large church uh, before he decided to plant. And so Joe has some production value uh just underneath the surface. And he's like, well, why would we go and do all that? We could shoot a documentary. And the funny thing is Joe had never shot a documentary before. Uh, and that's what I love about hanging around planters. They're just like, how hard could it be? I mean, they always find out it's really hard, right? <laughs> but they at least ask that question. They start a lot of uh, amazing adventures with, well, how hard could it be? Right. And so I was like, what? Are you kidding me? You're like, I suggested a little uh, tour and yeah, now we're we making should. a movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, can't we just do anything? This is, yeah. So Joe did the uh, the Western Canada leg uh, with with Jeremy Duncan, who's a pastor in, in Calgary there. Uh, he's on our website. His church is on our website, the Commons. And uh, the two of them um, traveled around and, and talked to pastors in uh, Vancouver. Um, they did, they talked to people in Edmonton. And then we, you guys kind of did the East Coast then? Yeah. So we, we drove to, um, we drove to Montreal and back on one trip and then we flew out East and we drove around 
uh, Atlantic Canada and then flew back. Hmm. Um, and it was a very transformative experience for everybody that was there because we realized, wow, like something actually is going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. And these are people who aren't just trying to plant a church, but they're trying to plant a new kind of church. And I think that's the really important, that was an important discovery for us. That's interesting. So then they compiled all of this footage together and created this one-size-fits-all documentary. Yeah, yeah. It's super cool because the story is a very uh, artistically talented church. And so, like, one of their um, church members is a a musician. So he did the soundtrack to the whole thing. They had uh, someone read the voiceovers. Um, And Joe, in his, like, you know, humility... Uh, never interviewed anybody from the story, even though I think the story has got a great story. Right. Um, I remember like watching that. I have no idea how I got my hands on that thing, but I remember watching it and thinking that's some interesting stuff. Yeah. Like, I was really grateful that someone had done the work to share these new and evolving forms of, of churches because at that time I really hadn't heard anything of the sort. And And being on the other side of the camera and realizing Joe and Nathan don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> Maybe, but they produce something that I think is an, an it is a great film. It it's is very interesting. And it's Canadian. And, and I it, think that's the kind of the thing and we've talked about it so many times, but when you go to look for these kinds of stories, they're so often not Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and these are people who are trying at least something new. It was an interesting time to be a church planter in that in that time period because there were the the, the the there's something wrong with the church conversation was getting a bit boring and stale and and people were stepping out and they were saying well we can deconstruct all day long but what if we tried something what if we mm-hmm. like w- what could this look like and so that's what uh, that's kind of what came out in in the film was that hmm. something was going on and I I've met all kinds of people that have have watched that documentary interestingly enough you can watch it free online um, you go to onesizefitsall.ca and uh, there's um, it was uploaded to YouTube so you can watch it for free hmm. and so one size fits all happened yeah all of those wonderful stories were captured. Yeah. And so you fe- felt it was important to kind of go back and see how that all went? Is that is that Right. I mean, at the time, we were just shooting people that we thought were doing, not like filming people, who were doing interesting things um, and, and things that we thought were important. They were important because, um, you know, these churches were reaching out into a community that, that the church didn't have a handle on, didn't have a firm grasp on. Mm-hmm. So uh, people that the de- demographers call the nuns and the duns. So a nun is someone who, when asked on a survey, uh, a Canadian survey, Pew Research, uh, what's your religious affiliation? They fill it, fill in the blank that says none. Mm-hmm. They have no religious affiliation. And that's actually the fastest growing religious designation in Canada. Uh, and then the duns, that's not really something Pew Research has talked about, but Canadian church researchers have found a group of people that are done with the church. And what was interesting about these church plants, and this is what in my mind made them important to the Canadian church story, was that they were uh, working with the Duns, people who were leaving uh, Christianity. And, and in many ways, 
the life trajectory of these young Christians, and I don't mean the planters themselves always, uh, but a lot of the people that, that were part of their churches eventually, um, were people who were leaving evangelical Christianity. Yeah, they were on the way out. Yeah, and mm-hmm. these church plants in many ways represented the last stop right. before, uh, before they would leave entirely. Um, and so long as the church keeps manufacturing people who are leaving, <laughs> there's going to be a need for this kind of church planting. And so, sure. um, and also by planting so far to the edges of, of evangelical culture, they were also starting to mix and find and have caught meaningful engagement with people who had left entirely or never part of the church in the first place. Right. And so they just, they were a very interesting, I think, um, they're not the only way to plant a church, but they are experimenters, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and in any field of discipline, there are always experimenters, people who feel compelled to push the boundaries of what we've done already. So this is why I invented the term pioneer church planning, because that's not to say they're cool or more important or anything. It's just that their unique contribution was not only do I want to plant a church and have it be healthy, I want to plant a new kind of church. And that's what I think uh, really piqued my interest about, about who they were. Um, and so you kind of circled back then. How many years later would, would it have been then? Ten, ten years? Nine years? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, so I started this research project in 2014. Okay. Um, and Joe and I had had barbecues together where we're like, "Well, did you hear about Nick? Did you hear about Kim? Did you hear about? Uh, have you heard from Kyle in a while? Like, some of these guys are, are friends of ours, and, and we were just wondering how they were. And you know, Joe would ask me because I'm out on the road all the time, and I actually often know where these stories are mm-hmm. and i'm like well it's just not good news like nick and emerge in montreal they're they're done um david brazil at curia like he's not there um uh the club church closed um pernell who was at the freeway at that time that like the freeway still exists in a in a form but it's really like radically changed i had been part of the gig and the gig uh, closed and it became two churches. It became Una, mm-hmm. and it became my sister's church, the living room. Um, and that's because there were two kind of cultures inside of it, and they, you know, they kind of went mm-hmm. two separate ways. So, um, so we would have, and I'm, I kept saying, Joe, you got to get out there and tell this story again. Like, this is interesting, and mm-hmm. this is another part of the story. It's, yeah, it's the results of the experiment, absolutely. And and people need to know. I think uh, th- 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 that important stuff, like that's a, that's an important part. If you're going to conduct experiments, you have to like see the results. And uh, and there wasn't um, there there wasn't a way of telling that story. I quickly realized like Joe's like, well, a who's going to want to watch a documentary where half of the good news stories have disappeared. Hmm. And, and at that point, we actually thought the number was like 75%. Oh, we thought it was even higher. It, be, just because of the emotional engagement we had with these people, it just felt so heavy and so sad. And and, and honestly, some of these stories weren't good. Right. Like, 
like marriages were breaking down. Um, people had lost their faith in some cases. I mean, it was, it was a few cases, very few, but, but, uh, that's still a reality. And I think that's horrible and it's just sad. And, and who wants to watch something that sad? Right. Um, and, and then secondly, as I started approaching people and saying like, this is an idea, I think we, we really uh, need to tell this story. Like they were like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to participate. A, it really hurt. Yeah. Um, and B, I don't know that I want my face uh, on camera um, because there was a sense of shame and guilt in some cases, which I thought was very unfortunate. I didn't feel that way about what they did, but they felt that way about what they did. Um, and then, you know, there were people that were, um, uh, they were, they were like, I want to tell this story. I think it's a good idea, but I'm scared that if we tell this story, no one's going to want to experiment anymore. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I delayed a long time. We just wrestled with it usually around barbecues where I'd be sitting on the back deck, Joe would be grilling and, and we'd be just, you know, talking, catching up. He's like, so how's stuff with uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, not good. Right. So it, it took me a while, but basically on my sabbatical in 2014, um, I said, I'm just going to follow up with these folks and I'm going to write a paper. Mm. Oh, so it um, first started with the, just a paper. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just going to be sort of a policy document for the Free Methodist Church in Canada so that we could do a better job of supporting pioneering church plants. Because I, I really still want to be in that business. I, right. Um, I want to help people who have new ideas get those ideas into reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, obviously I want, you know, if you're not trying to experiment too heavily and you just want to play at a successful church plant, I want to help you do that too. Um, but, uh, I really have a soft spot in my heart for experimenters and people who try things. Especially as the, the amount of nuns and duns in Canada just increases. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to, and, 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 and if we're going, if, if that's going to increase, our experimentations have to get even more bold. But if you don't have an environment where you can learn from what you tried, and if you don't have a community that can talk about what happened, well, I just see that as very unhealthy and very, very dangerous. Absolutely. And I think we've talked a lot about that too, about embracing failure and understanding yeah. that um, how we define failure. And like you're saying, like people's having that sense of shame and guilt. And it's like, I look at them, I'm like, wow, good for you. You, exactly. you tried something. Yes. And I think that is really important to cultivate that awareness as Christ followers that we don't have all the answers of how to reach these people groups. And that means that we might fail. We that's might right. try something, it doesn't work out, and you know what? It's still valuable. And I Absolutely. think that's really the, I mean, there's lots of great stories in this book, but I think to me, when I look at it, from my perspective, the value of it is that you're honoring the people who tried. Mm-hmm. And even if it wasn't quote unquote successful, as in it's you know still not open or around, it doesn't mean that good work didn't happen. Exactly. And that work is now solidified in the historical books forever of gutsy their stories here it's it's here and they've able to share it and then people who are planting can look at that and you know when i read the book it gives gives me this theme this or at least this theme comes out of almost like what not to do and maybe what to do Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. think that's that's healthy to learn from other people's stories and learn from their mistakes and from their successes The, the reason i just felt so compelled to do this is is exactly what you're saying 
Um, if we had been part of a network together, if the New Leaf Network, this is my conviction, if the New Leaf Network had existed for them and it was solidified so that we knew each other, then when something didn't work out, they would, the community would A, know about it. Right. Um, and it wasn't just me. And then B, um, that they could learn from the story. Right. But without a network, that stories were just disappearing. These people, in many cases, were just quietly just drifting uh, into other careers. Uh, some of them were becoming senior pastors of other churches. And again, these aren't bad things, but it's know. just that nobody knows that this happened. And it really, it really affected me. So, so yeah, in 2014, I, I, I started phoning everybody up and I, I did 24 interviews with people. Uh, there were 19 churches featured in the documentary. I tried to get to everybody that was in the documentary. I didn't get everybody. Uh, I tried, but, you know, being a single solo researcher and having a full-time job and all that stuff, it, 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 and I just don't know how to do it. I'm not trained for this. Um, I, I didn't get everybody, but I got 24 stories hmm. from 19 churches, and I feel pretty good about that. So I feel like maybe I didn't tell the whole story, but I told most of it, and, and I think... Uh, at, over time, themes really started emerging as yeah. these conversations are going. What would you say are like three of the top themes that you kind of saw? I know it might be hard to distill it down to three, but just for sake of time. Yeah, no. Um, uh, so one of the things that I found really fascinating in in in, in these projects, uh, the pioneering plants, was um, uh, something I call the fantasy cycle. Um, you you move through a series of phases when there's social innovation going on, and it's it's a kind of a nihilistic. It's a very dark uh, theory, but this is something I actually started to notice. So um, you start with the anticipation stage. So you're hoping for something new to happen. You're in a period of stagnation, and you want something new. And there's a group of revolutionaries that are calling the powers that be to account and saying this isn't right. working anymore. Then you enter into a thing called the dream stage where one of those revolutionaries or a couple of them set off and say, we're going to do something about this and we're going to live this new life. And people go, that's it. And they see it and it's amazing. And their lives are transformed by this dream. They're caught up in this dream. And then uh, uh, as the project continues, they hit minor bumps in the road. And this is, this gives way to the frustration stage where you realize, Oh, right. And this is still about people. Like people are still involved. Right. Um, and then, uh, the frustration stage leads to, um, it's, it's anticipation, dream, frustration, and then nightmare. And it turns into a, and then death wish stage Ah, after that. So nightmare is when, so at the beginning um, the dream stage, everything happens by itself. It's just, it's everything. The, the world's our oyster. It's magical. It's magical. Chairs set themselves up, <laughs> you know, both sound like, equipment just falls from the yeah, sky. Yeah. And, and, and like everyone's excited and they want to bring their thing. And then, you know, oh, I thought I was doing the coffee this Sunday or whatever. That stuff is the frustration stage, which then leads to the nightmare stage, which is, uh, if you don't deal with this, false picture of what you were doing Mm -hmm. because this is still all a dream. Don't forget. Mm -hmm. And you forget that this is a real community with real humans who are a part of it. Um, That's when you head into the nightmare stage. So 
the, the point for me, and we'll talk about this in another podcast episode, but the point for me in all it's this. It's a good analogy. It really, I, I, it really helped me. And then the death wish stage is what happens after the nightmare stage, which right. is everyone feels like they would be better off if this thing, if this thing was yeah. over. And, and what I found really fascinating is church plants just, uh, they don't die in some cataclysmic event. That was very rare. Um, uh, they just give up. Hmm. And they give up with probably more money in the bank, more people involved, and like uh, a place to meet and all things that church planters in the dream stage would love to have. Right. They die with these. And it's because they have no hope that the future will be better. And what makes it a cycle is that sometimes then you don't learn your lesson that the church is made up of people. Uh, and then you go looking for another dream. And that sets the stage for the anticipation stage. So for me, that was a major finding because mm. it was a challenge. And it's, it's, it's a problem for pioneering church plants. Um, it's something they have to pay attention to. Um, I think their dreams matter. I think what they're imagining matters. But if you fall in love with your dream and you forget that you're actually still trying to lead people and your goal is not just an experiment or a beautiful, we're going to be different than everybody else, and you forget that, uh, your main goal needs to be forming a healthy community of Jesus followers. Uh, you can get lost in this. And that's always going to be messy. Yeah, it is. It is. Absolutely. Hmm. So that was one of the main themes that kind of emerged. Absolutely. That that church plants, even pioneering church plants, have to have a connection to reality. They have to stay connect, connected to reality. Um, and, and, you know, I want to point out, Joe and I thought 75% of the churches closed. It actually turned out that 52% of them survived hmm. and 48% of them closed. So that those are, those, that could sound pretty terrible, right? Well, if you look at business statistics, it's very, very similar. Absolutely. So in my book, I, I contrast that with um, restaurant startups. Hmm. And, uh, as a tough industry, it is, it is. And I, and, and, you know, the, the legend out in church planning land is that two thirds fail. I've never seen that to be the case, and mm. and and the general standards I've I've ever seen is, is like kind of like seventy five percent make it, um, which is incredible. That's a great statistic. Um, uh, if you're not the twenty five, <laughs> if you're not the twenty five, <laughs> that's the catch. Uh, so there is a penalty you pay about twenty five percent less likely to succeed if you experiment. Hmm. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. Why do 75% of Canadian church plants survive? Well, it's because they steal Christians from other churches. And so that doesn't help us with the nuns and duns challenge. It just recirculates the saints. Now, maybe the, the only positive I could say about that is that it's re-engaging bored Christians. And I think that's a very powerful and important ministry to engage in. But it's not doing anything about uh, the kingdom challenges we actually face. I shouldn't say nothing, but it's not doing it's not steering straight into the waves. Right. Um, our church plants work, on average, if you're planting a normal kind of church, about 75% of the time. So that was, a, you know, a couple other themes. No, that's just, just from the book, you know, uh, keep your business separated from your church. Mm-hmm. So don't... It's an important distinction. I think, it, I think it's mm-hmm. huge. So, so make sure that your survival is not tied to the success of the business and make sure the success of the business is not tied to your church. If you can keep them separated, they can actually have a symbiotic and helpful relationship. A couple other themes, expect the unexpected. It's amazing how few churches planned for or were ready to move. And yet that's a common reality for mm. most church plants. Mm-hmm. I talked to a guy the other day, his church plan had been around for eight years. They moved seven times. 
Holy smokes. And every time you move, you got different people, different environment. The environment does shape you. Sure it does. Yep. So moving is actually a part of this. So that's what I mean by expect the unexpected. There are things that can happen to you that happen to lots of people. So just don't, you know, maybe be prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, long, like illness. That's something that happened at Una. Mm-hmm. Majorly shaped the early days of Una. It's <laughs> totally affected Evan's life forever. And it, it, honestly, it's an unforgettable experience for me too. Um, uh, you know, you're going to have babies. A lot of church plants start out with like 20-year-olds. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, some of them meet at church, fall in love, get married, and have babies. And babies change your church. It's a great church growth strategy, though, really, if you think about it. <laughs> it's genius. It's genius. <laughs> but yes, church plants probably always, you know, don't necessarily start out thinking we're going to have to accommodate for a yeah. baby boom. And, and but they, it happens. And there's something uh, kind of profoundly uncool about Sunday school and all of that. And... Uh, um, but those are challenges you got to wrestle are, with. You yeah. have to, whether you choose Sunday school or not, as your answer to things is not the important part. It's that, do you have a plan of how you are going to share your faith with people that are younger than you, mm-hmm. your own children? And that's, that's a key piece for church plants. Um, I think planters, um, uh, especially pioneering planters, uh, sometimes have an unhealthy uh, reason they're starting. Um, and so pay attention to the reasons why you're starting. Watch your own heart. Church planting is a process of holiness for you as a planter. It's not just what you do for others and for the sake of, of God, uh, but it's, this is actually about you too. Mm-hmm. So pay attention to your own heart. There's lots of themes um, mm-hmm. that, that I, I, I pulled out of it, and, and, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful that because I chose to do a book, because I chose to do anonymous interviews, so you'll never ever hear... Um, uh, the next church did this. Right. Um, I anonymized it for the sake of having the planter tell me more truth. I promised them I would never reveal who they were um, and that I would never, um, uh, I would take away distinguishing information. Some planters didn't care and some of them did. So this is just for the sake of getting the whole set together. I chose anonymous. And, um, and so I amalgamated several other stories and, I'm always curious when people are going to read the book and they were the planter, if they're, they're going to think it was them that they were quoting. And I realized actually it was three other people that said the exact same thing. That's interesting. So it, yeah, you really found a lot of common threads. I did. I did. These were unique churches. Absolutely. They did something that I think is important. The Canadian church at least needs this written down so that someone can come back to it and and read it later. But I also feel like, um, I want to encourage and I want to celebrate these people. They meant something to me because of what they did and what they care about. And, and I was proud of them, honestly proud of them for stepping up, moving beyond the deconstruction stuff to say, well, Hey, how about this? Mm -hmm. Let's try it this way. And yes, not all of it worked out. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate the effort. And these guys and these gals were serious. They put it all on the line. They were brave. They were gutsy. That's why I named the book after them because that was the one word I can think of to describe what, what they did. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's amazing. It's a great read. I really enjoyed reading it and I'm proud of you that you stepped up and made this book and, and I'm thankful for those people sharing their stories and you're right. We need to celebrate them because 
frankly, I believe that God does and did, and and I I want to step into that too. They should be proud of what they did. And as uh, someone reading it now, and I read through all of this stuff and watch that documentary, it made me proud to be a Canadian Christian trying new things in our time. The book, if you're interested, uh, you can pick it up on Amazon.ca, any of the Amazons, really. Um, and it's slowly making its way into other other bookstores like Chapters, Indigo. It just takes a while for it to go through the system, um, especially small books like this. You mean a Canadian church planning book is not selling off the... <laughs> it will. It'll People do okay. People aren't lining up at the door to get... Honestly, them. most of my sales have been coming from me being at events and, and selling to people that way. Um, and and it's... I've had... I've got some positive reviews. And I, I'm proud of the stories that I was able to tell. I try to tell it as clear a way as possible. Um, I don't still don't think of myself as an author, but, but it's, well, I can still picture you with a pipe and a smoking jacket and your, <laughs> and your book in your hand. Well, that so. may improve the reading experience. If you just imagine me yes. sitting at a wooden desk. Yeah. Twiddling your beard. Yeah. yeah. Twiddling my beard yeah. with, uh, with, uh, suede patches. I and, can see it. And, uh, yeah. Gutsy misadventures in Canadian church planting, a new leaf network press first book. Yep. Go out and get it. It's a great book. And uh, thank you, Jared, so much for doing the work of putting it together, of giving yourself the label of an author, and uh, for following up with all these people and doing the research. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Five-star review from L. <laughs> Thanks, Al. <laughs> Thanks, newly friends. We shall see you again next time. Thanks for listening to the New Leaf Podcast. You can find us on the web at newleafnetwork.ca or head on over to our Facebook page, New Leaf Network. We have events, workshops, and conversations happening all the time. We would love if you could join us as we share the stories of planters and starters all across Canada.